Well, good morning. Once again, thank you all for being here this morning. Hey, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning. If you have uh, a copy of God's Word, we are going to be in uh, the second Gospel, uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, uh, taking a break from Romans. For those of you who uh, have been here uh, this uh, semester, actually, I guess it's the whole school year that Kevin's been going through Romans, and uh, he's taking a two-week break as, uh, as spring break is here. And so this morning, we're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 10. And uh, uh, thank you all for, uh, for, for letting me come in and teach again. That's Kevin, I, I joked with him uh, when, I, when I turned in my resignation about six weeks ago. Uh, I guess his agent got with my agent and uh, part of the contractual agreement uh, with my transfer was that uh, I would be on retainer to teach for him while he's out. So uh, I guess that's why I'm still here, even though it is funny because people are like, I thought you got excommunicated. I was like, I did. I can still teach. I can still vote, right? I just can't. Uh, I mean, I still teach and, and sing, but I just I can't vote. So, uh, no, I did not get excommunicated. I'm just I'm totally messing with you. But, but this morning in Mark's Gospel, Chapter 9, uh, we want to look at this... Uh, well, pretty, pretty famous or a pretty well-known encounter that Jesus had uh, with some of his disciples. And as we're diving into this passage, as we're diving into this uh, experience that they had, I want to think about the truth that uh, the closer we get to things, the greater of an impact they have in our lives. Like, think about everyday things, everyday moments that we find ourselves in. We understand this truth that the closer that we get to certain elements, uh, the greater of an impact they have on our lives. For example... Have you guys ever been on the receiving end of a very bright flashlight? That's simple, like yes or no question. Yes, no, yeah, yeah. So, so you probably those moments, and maybe it was self-induced. Maybe you were trying to change the batteries you're trying to see, and you have it holding it yourself. Okay, that's probably guys. Girls are probably smarter enough to know not to do that. And you hit the button, you're like, oh, boy, that works. You know what I'm saying? But it's like the closer that flashlight is to your face, the greater of an impact it has to where you can't see for several minutes, right? The further you get away from the flashlight, the less of an impact it has uh, on your eyes. Also, you think about a flame. Like, you've ever been, like, wickedly cold, like playing in the snow, or it's just a really cold day. You come into a nice warm fireplace or a fire pit, right? The closer you get to that fire, the greater of an impact it has on you because you're closer to the source. And listen, I just want to talk about how that, 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 that same principle applies to our walk with Jesus, right? The, the closer we get to things, the greater of an impact they have on our lives. And that transfers over into what we're going to look at today. And the truth is the same about Jesus. That the closer that we get to him in our lives, in our time here on earth, the greater of an impact he has in our lives. And that's what I want to look at this morning in Mark chapter 9, is that walking closely with Jesus impacts our lives. Walking closely with Jesus impacts our lives. Today's passage is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. It's actually recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so you can find those accounts in, in two of the other gospels. We're going to be in Mark's gospel this morning. Uh, but let's read this uh, encounter that they had in Mark chapter 9, starting in Verse 2, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there appeared to them Elijah and a Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one with what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time that we can open up your word. Thank you that you uh, lived your life and is an example investing in the disciples. Thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired people like Mark to pin these words for us to also be impacted by the example and, and your teaching and everything that you lived your life to be. So, Lord, help us understand it. <clears throat> Lord, help us have the hearts as, as, uh, as Samuel did when he was in the temple that says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Help us receive all the truths that you have for us in this passage this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thinking about walking closely with Jesus, the, the first thing I want to look at, the truth that we see here, is that walking closely with Jesus always allows us to see him in ways we would not otherwise see him. Now, those of you guys on this side of the room, apparently we were having technical issues this morning, and, uh, and so you can look over here or just listen. So thank you guys for being patient with us. But walking closely with Jesus always allows us to see him in ways that we would not otherwise see him. We start here in, in verse 2 where it says, and after six days. And so you say, well, what's, what's been going on? Well, Jesus is, is, is walking around with his disciples. He's going from different areas and different cities. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's performing miracles. He's healing people. He's doing all these things. And sometimes he would go to a place and he might only stay for a day or two because maybe they ran him out of town or maybe a, a situation arose that he needed to be somewhere else. Sometimes he would set up camp. Apparently here he was at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, he was teaching and he was preaching and apparently he had been here for about a week. And, and at the tail end of that week, he decides to go up to this mountaintop. Now, we see all throughout the Gospels, it wasn't uncommon, number one, for Jesus to withdraw to go spend time with God the Father. Also, the second thing that was not uncommon is that, that sometimes, like for example, when he would go and uh, raise the centurion's daughter, or he would go to different places, Peter, James, and John would be the three that he would take with him. He wasn't you know, he wasn't playing favoritism. He wasn't excluding the other ones. Uh, he just, he had these 12 he invested in, and then Peter, James, and John, he invested a little bit more in different ways. And so on this occasion, as he's withdrawing, as he's going up on the mountaintop, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. Now, here's one of the things you have to understand, because this truth I said is it always allows us to see him in a way that we would not otherwise see him. And you may say, well, okay, well, what, what did the disciples know at this point? How close were they with Jesus? At this point in their lives, the disciples would have, number one, they would have already understood and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's on the front end, right? They would have already met Jesus, encountered Jesus, believed that he was the Messiah, the one who he said he was. It also would have put them in the minority of the Jews who actually believed that Jesus was who he said that he was. They would have believed it so much that they would have left their lives in order to follow him. 
right? They left their occupations. Some of them left their families. They left everything in order to follow Jesus up to this point. They had heard him teach. They had heard him preach in a way that the Bible said left people astonished at the words that he said and the authority in which he spoke to them. At this point in time, they would have seen miracles like feeding the multitudes with a small amount of food. They would have now seen that twice, both with the 5,000 and with the 4,000. They would have seen Jesus heal blind people who were born blind and now could see. They would have seen Jesus heal deaf people who were born deaf and could now hear. They would have seen him exercise demons, which would probably be extremely freaky, to be honest with you, right? They had already seen him exercise demons and free people, and they had also seen him freaking walk across water, okay? All right, so you, you name all the big top 10 things that Jesus did that you would have been like, holy smokes. They would have already seen these things. They would have already heard those things. They would have already encountered all of those things at this point. You say, well, Greg, what does that have to do with anything? It is safe to say that at this point in their lives, these disciples had seen enough of Jesus. They had seen enough of Jesus that their faith was exponentially stronger at this point in their lives than it was when they started following him. Okay, it's, it's safe to say that. But no matter how much we grow in our walk with Jesus, we can always grow more. No matter how much you and I have walked with Jesus, I've had a chance to, to walk with Jesus uh, over two decades now, right? Probably about, let's see if I did the math real quick, about 25 years. And, and I think it's safe to say, and I think the truth would be there, that I'm exponentially closer to Jesus now than I was at 22, okay? But at the same time, I would also be willing to be honest and admit that there's still a lot more that I could learn. There's still a lot more that I could grow in. There's still a lot more in my faith that could be transformed to the image of Christ. The godliest people that you know would probably admit the same thing, that they're exponentially stronger in their walk with Jesus now than they were the day that they were saved. But Lord willing, if they are truly, truly godly, uh, they would say, but there's also still more room to grow, right? There's still more room to, to, to get there. And that's why walking with Jesus allows us to see him in a way that we may not see him otherwise. These three men now got to see Jesus in a way that they hadn't seen him for before, and that is transfigured and glorified. Transfigured and glorified is something that's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. We're in, Warren Wiersbe writes some great commentaries and some great books about, about the Bible, and in, in his writing on Mark, he says, Jesus allowed his glory to radiate through his whole being, and the mountaintop became the holy of holies. That's awesome. You know what's funny? My, uh, my autocorrect changed it to became a holy of homies. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> so it was the holy of holies and apparently the holy of homies. All right, so, but here's what's happening, right? Look at, look at verses 3 and 4, right? So, uh, or, or it says, he, he led, verse 2, he led them up on a high mountaintop by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them, right? The, the glory of the Lord just, just radiating through him, transfigured, glorified, right there in front of them. And it says, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. This, this, this passage or this, this, uh, this part of this encounter has, has always perplexed me and, and kind of blown me away. 
um, that, that Moses and Elijah were there? Because I always wonder, like, how did they recognize them, right? How did they recognize them? Uh, for those of you who are old enough to understand this joke, right? Like, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet in order for them to, to Google and, and see Moses and Elijah, right? So it's like, how do they know? Did, did they match the flannel graph in their Sunday school class? You know, like, oh, I had his trading card. I know that one. That's Moses, right? You're like, oh, that's Elijah. I tried to get his card. I never could find it, you know? But, but the thing is that somehow they knew. We, we don't know, right? There's a lot of people who speculate how they knew one of the things that we do know in Scripture is that God does have the ability to give divine revelation uh, in certain moments. Like, for example, when, when Samuel uh, was revealed about David's sin, and he, and he went to, I mean, Nathan, when Nathan was revealed about David's sin, and he went to Nathan, I mean, went to David to, to get him to repent. Like, these, there's these moments where divine revelation happens. We don't know, but one of the things that we do know is that they were there with him also in their glorified state because both of them had been in heaven for quite some time. Uh, up to this point since they had lived here on earth. But, but why these two, right? Like, why Elijah? Why a Moses? There's a couple of things here that, that, that are possibilities of why these two are with him. Number one, uh, possibly as representatives. Uh, Moses could have been a representative of the law uh, because he helped pin the law. Uh, Elijah being a representative of the prophets. When you read through the New Testament, uh, the, the words that they use to revert to the Old Testament is the... Somebody say it. I know you know it. The law and the prophets. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for playing. Bing. I don't want to answer in Sunday school. All right. So, yeah, but the thing is, is that in the, they, they refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. Jesus himself said, I did not come, right, to, to basically, my words, not his, like, like throw the Old Testament out, but to, for, to fulfill them, right? I came to fulfill them. Also, when Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? He said it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as itself. Because what? Because all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Basically, everything in Scripture hangs almost like a coat hanger, right? How good is a one-armed coat hanger? What do you do when a coat hanger breaks in half? You throw it away, right? So that's what Jesus was saying, right? Everything in Scripture hangs like a two-armed coat hanger on the law and the prophets, consecutively, they hang together to, to, to form what we know about God, how we live our lives, and how the Christian life operates. So it could be that Moses and Elijah were there as a representation, right, of Christ's glorification and his fulfillment of the law and the prophets that he had taught them. Also, it possibly could be because both Moses and Elijah themselves had mountaintop experiences when they were here on earth. Moses on Mount Sinai, where he met with the Lord, where he lived with the Lord, where he came down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, he himself had said that his, his face was radiating so much from being in the presence of God that he wore a veil to cover his face. Elijah had Mount Carmel. He also had a mountain where he met with God and where he talked with the Lord. And so both of them had these mountaintop experiences. But one thing we do know, one thing we do know is that in this moment, you can see the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven that shows us that there will be a time where in our glorified state, we will be in the presence of Jesus and we will have some level of interaction with our Savior and our Lord. And that, that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool because, you know, the, these guys would have heard Jesus teach about and they would also heard growing up in the Jewish faith about Moses, about Elijah, about the people in their faith who had gone before them and to see that now there is a hope of heaven, right? There, there is life after our life here on earth, in the presence of Jesus, 
glorified and with him. What, what a cool moment that this must have been for them. Now, Simon Peter, as, as everybody uh, in here would have been, it, it says in here that they were, they were afraid. They were terrified is actually the word that they used. That's not uncommon. When you read through the Old Testament, when angels or when Jesus would appear to people in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that the first emotion that the Bible says that they had was fear or terror. They were terrified, right? They would be like, holy smokes, right? You know, uh, you think about uh, Isaiah when, he, when he's in the temple uh, at, at, after King Uzziah had died and see, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he's like, woe is me, right? Uh, he's like, I'm about to die. Um, and, and all these times, but then even when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they screamed out in fear. And all those moments, though, the very first thing that they say to those people are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so Simon Peter he expresses here that, that, he, that they were terrified, um, verse 6, for he did not know what to say. They were terrified. Verse 7, though, it says, and a, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to me. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. Uh, we see God the Father's affirmation and, and his son, of his son Jesus and confirmation of our need to recognize his authority and listen to him. Thinking back through Jesus' life, thinking back through the Gospels, where else do we see this happen? Where else do we see God the Father show up and say to people, this is my son who I'm real pleased, you know, listen, listen to him? Anybody? Jesus' baptism. That's right. So for us, as the reader of Scripture, this is now the second time that we've seen this happen. But for them, as the apostles, it's the first Nothing in Scripture records that they would have been there at Jesus' baptism, right? Because it was just John the Baptist, maybe, um, maybe James. But the thing is, is that here this is, that they are affirmed, and, they, and now all of a sudden, they've seen Jesus in his transfigured and glorified state. They've now heard from God the Father audibly, probably for the first time in their lives, this confirmation of who Jesus is and, and, to, and to recognize his authority so we, we say, well, what does this mean for us? When we surrender our lives to Jesus and we receive him as our Savior and Lord, we start this journey to grow in our faith and knowledge of him. If you guys were here when, when, when Kevin went through Romans chapter 8, right, he would have walked through Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, that says you know, that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You say, well, if you weren't here, what does that mean? It means that God's predetermined plan for those of us who are in Christ Jesus would start a journey to what? To be transformed to the image of Christ. That's the big $3 word, sanctification. We're constantly on this journey to be conformed to the image of Christ. But as we continue to walk closely with Jesus, we'll continue to see him in new ways. No matter how long you've walked with Jesus, no matter how old you are, we don't get to a place where we're done, right? In school, those of you who are in school, right, you get to a place where you've, you've finished that degree and you get that degree and you're like, okay, well, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with school. We, we're never done learning about Jesus. We're never done growing in our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we read a passage and something new pops up to us. You, you ever done that before? You, you know, you, you read through your scripture, whether it be like a devotional, maybe you're in a Bible study, whatever, but there's somewhere along the way that you read this passage that you've probably read before, but for whatever reason, maybe it's that day, maybe it's that season of life, maybe you have something that just happened that week, 
But now all of a sudden, something off that page just jumps out at you that you've never seen before. And you're like, oh, snap, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I think about the fact that one time I was reading through the Gospels and, and it, just, it just dawned on me. I mean, it was, it was revelation, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. It just dawned on me that, that nowhere I was reading in the Gospels did I ever see someone come to Jesus and Jesus turned them away. There were plenty of people who walked away on their own volition, right? But there's nowhere in there. Even Jesus' enemies, he welcomed them to come and to have an opportunity to turn and to put their faith in him. And man, that just, that just blew me away. I just was like, oh, that's awesome, right? Or, or maybe you're, you're uh, hearing a sermon, and, and all of a sudden this new revelation just comes to you. I, I think about the time, I, I don't know who it was to give credit to, so Kevin always says that if I can't remember who to give credit to, I just give credit to him. So Kevin Webb apparently one time was teaching, and, uh, and somebody talked about the great exchange, about how, you know, we have no righteousness but his, and he has no sin but ours. And the great exchange is, right, that we get Christ's righteousness and he takes our, our sin. And I'm just sitting there, just my mind, you know, just pouring out my ears, just like, this is incredible, right? Or, or maybe you're going through a new season of life and, and a new truth that you experience just comes to mind. And, and you just sit there and marvel at Jesus and who he is. To share a little bit of our story, several of you know uh, our youngest son, Caleb. And Caleb was born with special needs, and he was born deaf. And I remember when we first found out about it, he was just a couple months old. And, uh, and that'll, that'll rock your world a little bit, you know? And, uh, and I just remember sitting there, spending time with the Lord, and he brought a, a, an encounter, a passage I had read before to mind where he and his disciples were walking into a town. And his disciples said, hey, Jesus, was this man born, born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Right? That, that was just a very common theological debate they had at the time. And Jesus said, neither. But this man was born this way that the power of God might be demonstrated in his life. Now, that's a passage I had read, right, on many occasions but now I went through a new experience in life that now all of a sudden that passage, that, that message from Jesus just resonated with me in a way that I had not known at that level before, right? See, see what we mean is that as you continue to grow up, as you continue to walk with Jesus, Lord willing, as you continue to walk closely with him, you will continue to see him in ways that you would not see him otherwise. 20 years from now, however old you are, if you know Jesus in 20 years the same way that you know him right now, it probably means that you haven't continued to walk closely with him. Because Lord willing, you will continue to grow and nurture that relationship and continue to walk with him in ways that you aren't right now. And that's a wonderful blessing that we see here in the Mount of transfiguration. Walking closely with Jesus always allows us to see him ways we do not otherwise see him. A second truth that we see here is that walking closely with Jesus develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him. Walking closely with Jesus develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him. Look at verse 5. After Jesus has been transfigured, after he's standing there in his, his glorified state with Elijah and Moses, Peter said to him, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I'll be honest and say that 
Simon Peter often gets a bad rap, and rightfully so. He, he's, he's prone to kill a moment, <laughs> right? He's, he's prone to kill a moment by opening his mouth. I would like to think that I, can, that I could relate more to like um, post-Pentecost Simon Peter. You know, that Simon Peter was awesome, right? He, 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 he rocked and changed the world. But the truth of the matter is I'm probably more like pre-Pentecost Simon Peter, like I only open my mouth to switch my feet, if you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and so here he is. He opens his mouth, and, and, you know, and, you're, and it's like, thanks, Simon Peter. Appreciate you, bro. No, just go ahead and kill the moment. It's fine. None of us care to keep encountering it. Just, don't just do your thing, you know. But, but the thing is, is that he actually makes a great point. Like even in him, like because it said in there, like he didn't—he was terrified. He didn't know what to say. He's like, "Uh, hey, well, I got an idea, you know." And they're like, "I got an idea too. How about you just shut up, you know?" But but the thing is that he actually had a great thing because he says here, he says, "Look, it is good for us to be in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> it is good that we are here." Give Simon Peter credit for that, right? He finds himself in the presence of Jesus, encountering him in a way he's never accounted for, and he's like, "Dude, like." This is good. This is awesome. This is where I want to stay. Let's just set up camp, and let's just stay here. And he's right. He's right. When we were first saved, there was an excitement like no other. Sometimes the people who are the most on fire for Jesus are the people who are new believers, the people who are new in their faith with Christ, because they, they recognize the newness of it, and they're excited, right? And then for a lot of people, myself included, it's like the longer that you walk with Jesus— you'll find yourself in a state of contentment because you do look and see where you were five years ago, 10 years ago, and you do say, man, I am closer with Jesus now than I was then. And it's easy. It's easy for us. Not, I'm not saying that, that, that we, we find ourselves backslidden, but we can find ourselves just complacent, just saying that where we are is enough, right? Where we are is better than most of the people I know or, or where we are is better than where I used to be. The, the, the problem with that, though, is where we used to be isn't the standard. And, and where other people are isn't the standard. Jesus is the standard. And so unless we are completely conformed to the image of Christ, we shouldn't be complacent with where we are in our walk with him. We should have this desire to continue to grow. Hey, hold your place here in, in Mark uh, chapter 9 and flip to Psalm 51, okay? It's going to be over to the left, Psalms. Uh, Psalms 51. Now, the, the context is different. This is a psalm of King David as he's repenting from his adultery with Bathsheba. So the context is certainly different, but the content has truth that remains and applies to us. In Psalm 51, verse 12, here's what David wrote. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice what he says here. He says, restore to me. What does that mean, to restore something? It means that something is not as good as what it once was. I love restoration shows. I love restoration projects, right? Something that, that you see that, that through whatever has, has come its way, whether it be neglect, uh, whether it be some damage, something's happened to this piece of, of, of a car, or this piece of furniture, or this house that, that has changed it from what it was when it was first made, right? Nice and new and shiny. And a restoration process means I see the potential to get you back to where you used to be, and, and, and the process takes place of restoring that. And, and the goal is to restore it back to what it was like when it was first made. What are we restoring? It says, restore to me the joy. 
the joy. Notice what he says here. It's the loss of joy is what needs to be restored. Now, this is the key part. The joy of what? Of your salvation. This is the key. Not that you have lost your salvation, but that you have lost the joy of your salvation. That's key. Because so many times in our lives, it's like as we kind of go stale, as we grow stagnant, as we grow complacent, we don't lose our salvation. But what do we lose? We lose the joy of our salvation. We lose what it felt like when we first came to faith in Christ and we couldn't wait to dive in his word. We're just soaking it all up. We couldn't wait to to talk to our friends because our lives have been transformed and we want their lives to be transformed too. We couldn't wait to come to worship, right? Because we haven't been offended by people yet. We haven't gotten into the petty arguments about the way the church functions yet. All we know is that we love Jesus. These people love Jesus too and I want to worship him with them. Restore to me the, the joy of, my, of your salvation. Go back to Mark chapter 9. That's, that's where, where Simon Peter says, yes, it is good that we are here. What is the application to understand that as we walk closely with Jesus and it develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him, we can ask ourselves, how is my desire to spend time with Jesus? How is it? It it, How is my desire to spend time in worship, both individually and corporately? When when, when we wake up on Sunday, are we excited about the opportunity that we get to come and see other brothers and sisters in Christ, right? To to, to talk to them and to smile and to hug them and, 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 and to worship alongside them and to talk about Scripture with them? Or do we wake up and go, hey, man, today's a beautiful day. And you start thinking about all the things that you could be doing, but you feel obligated to be here. The desire to spend time with Jesus, spending time reading in his word, spending time meditating on his word, spending time with him in prayer, spending time talking with others about him. Basically, do we say it is good that we are here when we have these moments to spend with Jesus? Not in a way that brings a guilt trip. That's not the goal, right? Guilt is a, is a terrible master and a terrible motivator. It's not that at all. It's an evaluation to see in my life right now, like where I'm at, do I need to pray as David prayed, O Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation? Do I need to get back to walking and cherishing my relationship with Jesus, the one who has saved me? Walking closely with Jesus, we see him in ways that we would not otherwise see him. Walking closely with Jesus develops a desire in our hearts to stay with him. And lastly, walking closely with Jesus always takes us into the real world to have an impact. Walking closely with Jesus always takes us in the real world to have an impact. Verse 9, it says, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Our desire is to stay with Jesus, and that's not a terrible desire. Jesus' desire is for us to be his ambassadors. That's his desire for us. You think about, if you haven't ever read the encounter, that Jesus and and his disciples, they go across the lake of Gennesaret, and they find this demon-possessed man. Uh, Dude was like scary and freaky. He had a legion of demons inside of him is what he professed. And, And Jesus exercises the demons 
And now all of a sudden the town people are freaked out because the dude that was running around cutting himself, living in the cemetery, screaming naked as he ran through the streets, is now in his right mind and clothed. And it says the people saw him and they were like, what is that voodoo magic? Like they couldn't handle it. It's like Jesus had worded this dude's life in a way that they couldn't process it. They couldn't handle it. It says they begged Jesus to leave. One of the most tragic statements in all of Scripture. And so this guy is now begging Jesus. He's like, please let me come with you, right? My desire is that I, this is good. Like, I've encountered you. This is all, like, I want to stay here with you. And Jesus says, no, just go back home and tell them all that the Lord has done for you. And the guy ends up going on a 10-city tour into the capitalists to talk about everything that Jesus has done, right? Our desire, which is good, is to be with Jesus, Jesus' desire is for us to be his ambassadors. Ambassadors don't stay in the embassy. They go out with the messages that have been given to them that are to go out to the people. Jesus didn't bring his disciples to this mountaintop to stay there, but to experience a moment with them to strengthen their faith as they walked into the valley. So what did they walk into? Well, let's keep reading in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, that means Peter, James, John, Jesus, coming down off the mountaintop, they come back into wherever base camp was at Caesarea Philippi. This is what they encounter. They saw a great crowd around them <clears throat> and scribes arguing with them. Sweet. They walked back down to a debate, to an argument with all of the religious leaders who, who hated them. Awesome. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they all ran up to him and greeted him. So they see this big, this big debate, uh, this big argument, right? And then all of a sudden, they just get bombarded with this huge crowd. Have you guys ever had that? You ever had a moment where you, you were like, you had a good breakfast? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got up, man, like you ate your Honey Nut Cheerios or whatever it is that rocks your world in the morning. You know, you had your cup of coffee or your Mountain Dew or, you know, your Red Bull, whatever it is that cranks your tractor. You know, you just sit there, and the weather's nice, and everything was good. You, got, you weren't rushed. You know what I'm saying? And you get dressed, you get in your car. Man, it's a good day, man. You throw on your best vibes that you have, and then all of a sudden, what do you encounter? You encounter the people that have, like, nowhere to go and all day to get there. You get the people that are, like, distracted on their phones, so they miss the red light, which makes you stop by the red light, right? You have these moments, and you're like, you know, and in your mind, maybe you're not like me because maybe you're more sanctified than I am, which is definitely a possibility. Uh, maybe you're like, you just want to do a U-turn and just go back home to your, your nice, comfortable place. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Maybe you get to work and, like, everything fell apart, like, in, in the time that you were gone, like a projector. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you just, you get there, and it's like all you want to do is go back. Like, that's the moment that these guys would have had, right? They would have been on the mountaintop with Jesus, seeing him in this awesome way. They get back down, and this is what, it's just a... They're just like, oh, my gosh. And Jesus asked them, he said, hey, what are you, what are you arguing about, right? And, and someone from the crowd answered him, and, and whenever they seized him, right, and, and he said to them, he said, look, how long am I going to bear with you? Just, just bring them to me. Just bring them to me, right? Jesus wanted them to go on this mountaintop to have this experience, to strengthen their faith, because he knew what was awaiting them when they came down off the mountaintop. What was it? It was a world that he wanted them to have an impact with. It's a world that he wanted to have an impact with. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. He says, how wonderful it would be to stay on the mask and top and just bask in Jesus' glory. But discipleship means denying self, taking up a cross, and following him. 
And you cannot do that selfishly staying on the Mount of Glory. There are needs to be met in the valley below. If we want to share in the glory of Christ on the mountaintop, we must be willing to follow him into the sufferings of the valley below. When we have these moments, when we're walking closely with Jesus and we encounter him in a way that we didn't know him before, we develop this desire to be around him, Jesus wants those things to happen in our lives so that we can have a greater impact on the people that he brings into our lives. We want them to be impacted in the way that we've been impacted. They need us. If, if, if being around Jesus and, and being in heaven was the only thing that the Christian life is about, then Jesus should just take us straight to heaven the moment that we are saved. Just take us straight there. If there is a point between salvation and glorification, it's for a reason. It's for us to grow in our walk with Jesus and for us to have an impact on the people that our paths cross and our lives cross. And guess what, guys? Sometimes those times are really, really challenging. They're really challenging. The people that we encounter, they haven't been transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them to give them conviction. And they're hard. It, sometimes it's hard, man. Sometimes it's really, really hard. But he gives us these moments. All right, walking closely with Jesus has an impact on our lives. We have a few moments that we can spend talking around our table groups a little bit. You can talk about whatever you want. Oh, snap. Do what happened there, Joel? What'd you do to me, Smalls? <laughs> It was me. I set the wrong macro on there. Uh, I can just, y'all, can, y'all can talk about whatever you want. I'll just read some of them. It's cool. Just hit a logo slide or something. Uh, what are some things about this passage that stands out to you? What are some ways that you've grown to see Jesus in new ways? What is it a time or an event when you grew in your understanding of Jesus? What are times in your life when you have a desire to be with Jesus? What are ways in your life that you can come down off the mountaintop and have an impact? And this is one I, that I think is really great, man, is what is something you can do in the coming weeks as a result of hearing this passage? It's a good one, all right? You guys spend a few times around your uh, table groups, and I'll close this out in prayer in just a little bit.